Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. So in this episode, I interview Hamilton Souther, who is a master shaman of about 18 years experience. So he's going to explain his life story or the story of how he became a shaman and how he was dedicated to that path and the tricky times he's had along the way. So it is fascinating to get the insight of somebody who's spent years and thousands of hours and over a thousand ayahuasca ceremonies and also cannabis ceremonies working with these healing plants to help people overcome trauma in their lives and become more complete. So let's get into it. I'm here with Master Shaman Hamilton Souther, and we're going to talk about spiritual journeys and ayahuasqueros and the Amazon and all kinds of stuff. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me on your show. <laughs> oh, it's, it's great to have you. So I'd like to ask you a question, and it's kind of a difficult question. And I guess you can answer it any way you like, but I, I think maybe your answer will be illuminating. Uh, the question is, who are you? Who am I? <laughs> yeah. That's a funny question. <laughs> who am I? I don't know. I'm, I'm a, a guy who, you know, in his youth started to have visionary awakenings. And they ultimately led to a life of exploration. Mm. And that exploration led to searching in shamanism for an explanation for those visionary experiences. Mm. And then uh, really a seeking and a quest for healing and medicine and understandings of the human psyche and consciousness beyond that of ordinary thinking. So, I mean, I think I'm a free thinker and uh, ultimate, you know, kind of on the edge of the frontier of science and mysticism and a mystic and, I don't know, someone seeking a peaceful, more positive life, really. Yeah. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I hope, I hope I didn't put you on the spot too much there. <laughs> but it's a good introduction. Let's talk about when you had that spiritual awakening, because the, the thing is, in, in Western English-speaking culture, there's not a lot of framework for having a spiritual awakening, and so it causes a lot of tension. So what was it like when you had that? All I can say at that time that it was mind-shattering. Mm. Like the mind that I had been developing up until that point in my life was just gone, just completely gone. But what I was left with was a very lucid, very rational mind that was now seeking answers for the kinds of experiences I was having. So it was like an ego death experience? Like that, yeah. I mean, I, I started to have experiences of things I didn't believe in. When you have experiences of something that you truly have no reference for or framework for, but now you're having the experience of it, you have to question the nature of your reality or your own mind. And the experience that I was having was fundamentally real by all the ways Westerners would define reality. So I was very versed in logic and understanding. I didn't have an explanation at that time for what was happening to me, but I definitely understood whether or not it was something quote unquote real or delusional. 
And also part of that reality wasn't that it was solely happening to me, but it was an experience that was shared with others. And other people were confirming all the time the stuff that was happening to me and what they were seeing. And even when I was you know, seeing these beings that were invisible to almost everybody else around me, I still met people who saw them too, described them to me. I saw other visionary seekers who who knew how to be able to see these kinds of energy patterns or, you know, spirits or, you know, illuminated beings, whatever. And, uh, you know, so I had all this confirmation all the time that what was happening was something fundamentally really outside the box of what we would think of as modern day thinking and institutionalized education. You know, when I got to the Amazon, funny enough, most kids had kinds of visionary experiences that I was having living deep in the forest. To ask specifically about those experiences, like, is is it like seeing ghosts in the dark or is it like seeing a, like a full spectral appearance, like somebody walking down the street who you know isn't just a regular human? Or what, what kind of experience was it? I mean, I think I've had every kind you've mentioned. You know, at the time when it first started in my early 20s, most of the time I was aware of presences and I could describe them to you, but not actually see them with my eyes. Like when you're in your house at night and all of a sudden you feel spooked out that something's in there with you too. Only I could tell you what it was. It wasn't just a feeling, you know, you walk around the house or whatever. But when I was living in the Amazon deep in the forest during my apprenticeship, I had experience of seeing full on eyes wide open, like spectral beings or light beings or monstrous creatures that also other people were seeing at the same time. So it wasn't just me. Like an example would be, a, a, you know, like a thatched roof house, walls that don't go all the way to the ceiling and a light going on and off, on and off, on and off inside the room, but no one in the room. And you're on the other side of the house and it's just an open floor concept all the way. To, and you're like, what could be going on in that room? Are you seeing that light? And the other person goes, yeah, I'm seeing that light. So we go over to the to the you know room and open up the curtain, not even a door. And there's this luminous being standing there. The luminous being jumps through the wall, runs around the house and then over the water and actually made splashing footsteps. And I know that that sounds completely wow. nuts, right? But I had other people with me who saw exactly the same thing, heard exactly the same thing, and we were completely sober. That was not a night that we were taking visionary plants. It wasn't a night that anything else should have been happening. It was just a night that that happened. And that experience was fundamentally real for me. I saw it. Other people saw it. People who were training saw it. People who didn't know anything about shamanism saw it. Even the cook out there saw it. So, you know, when that happens, you ask the forest people, well, what's that? Like, they have a mythology for it. They can tell you exactly what that is. My eyes are like, what? And they have a little name for it, you know? It's like, oh, they're buddy, you know? Yeah, they have like a whole a whole system. I, I did have some kinds of experiences like that as well when I was uh, 17, but not... Not to that extent. And I think you, it sounds like you were better prepared to take these weird experiences than I was because I didn't understand a lot about logic. And so I did kind of, I went into delusion. And I think that's the big risk when you don't have a framework for it in your culture. You, do, you don't know what's real and you don't know what to accept or reject. Did you have any problems like that or you were able to figure out what was going on? I mean, I might still be having problems like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the adjustment is, is, all, is all the time. I mean, I don't know how many people find the, the space of the mind to be totally comfortable their whole life, you know? 
I've worked in a field where most people have come to me having difficulty in that space, not a whole bunch of comfort. Hmm. So, you know, in my own experience, uh, I think what really helped me was that I was surrounded by a lot of love. Hmm. You know, family was very loving and understanding of what was happening. And, you know, I had other people who shared with me when I would get really scared because sometimes I wouldn't really understand what was happening. You know, they would have a, a way of saying just the right thing at that time to make me feel better about the experience. You know, I remember when I was first training in ayahuasca shamanism, I started to see the visions all the time, you know, while I while I'd go to bed and sleep. And then when I'd wake up in the morning, they would kind of vanish and then they would come back. And I asked a friend what he thought about that. And he's just simply said, well, I think little by little, you'll just be more in that space. Hmm. And just that statement of reassurance made sense to me and that I would get comfortable with it and adjust, you know? And so just that one little thing, you'll do okay there, okay. Yeah, (laughs) I think a lot of people would find that frightening to think that would be in that space all the time. Yeah, I think so, but I, if you, it's also depending what you're, on what you're accepting and what you're doing, you know? I think my first year of apprenticeship, I was just scared the whole time. I just freaked out, you know, just like perpetually stuck in fear. And, uh, you know, after about a year of that, I realized, well, if I'm going to keep doing this, I need to start to relax about this whole thing a little bit, you know, and just kind of take it with a grain of salt that this is what's going to happen. <laughs> and it certainly hasn't been easy. I wanted to ask you that about, about that, too, because the story that, I, that I've heard from uh, previous interviews is that you took two ayahuasca ceremonies and after that you thought about it a while and then you went back to the shamans and you said, I want to commit to this. I want to make this my path. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I participated in two ceremonies and then I was ready to apprentice. So committing your entire life to a practice like that, I imagine there's probably been a lot of times uh, over the years where you've been like, this is too much. I can't handle this. Or, you know, you think maybe that the path's not for you. So... Do you remember any times like that and how you overcame them and how you persisted and what you learned from it? Sure. I mean, I think the the hardest parts are just where you start to doubt why you're doing this or what the purpose is behind it ultimately. And uh, also the self-doubt and whether or not you can actually achieve and continue the process. You know, during those periods of time, I got, like I said, support from other other sources. Even movie just helped me. There were, you know, Star Wars, the, the, the first three helped me understand in certain ways mythologically what was actually happening to me. Uh-huh. You know, in the hardest times, I, old, I would see The Empire uh-huh. Strikes Back and understand more about the hardships of trying to, you know, forge a life in those uh, mythological concepts and and understandings that come from tribal peoples way before the origins of city-state governments and and what we call civilization, you know. And I I always knew that the shamanic path would be really hard. And Julio and Alberto were really forward and straight up that the apprenticeship and the practice could result in my death, very much like if you're a pilot or a you know, a skydiver or anyone else in extreme activities. That in its own right was very, very difficult. The beginning of the apprenticeship was actually much harder than later on. Later on, I I had more skills. And so I knew how to handle myself better in those ways. 
and really felt like I was well suited to the practice and well suited to physically well suited, mentally well suited at that point to the the overall expressions of those practices. But early on, I think it was so foreign that most of the time, like I said, I was just scared and holding on as best I could to each thread of experience and trying to kind of get over every hurdle that would get presented to me. The the apprenticeship was presented in these forms of these tests, and they referred to them in the lineage that I studied in as a test of virtue. You know, maybe the test is jealousy, or maybe the test is anger, or maybe the test is righteousness, or maybe the test is delusion itself, or the test could be something that's, you know, a grave illness or something like that, or big accident. You had to pass those tests or you would end in absolute failure. And failure didn't look good the way they described it. Failure looked like absolute insanity with no lucidity as the way the the masters I worked with presented that concept. So I didn't think failure was something that we could ultimately go with. And I had to figure out a way through those tests, regardless of whether I was scared or wanting to quit or doubtful. The main teaching from Alberto, who's the shaman I still work with who trained me because Julio passed on many years ago, was be decided. If you're going to do this, do this. And if you're not going to do this, just don't do it. One or the other, but pick. Don't Don't be in the middle ground trying to straddle doing this and not doing this. He said, you know, this this is an absolute practice. You have to fully dedicate yourself to this. You have to fully give everything you have to this or you won't make it. So at that point, my 20s, I was doing this, you know, in my 20s, even in the the fear, it looked like a direction and it looked like ultimately something that I wanted to learn. The Amazon represented this like place in the world where these practices were still really foreign and unknown. The plant medicine practices extend way beyond the ones that are popular. You know, very much like if there's, I don't know, one popular candy, ultimately there's all these candies or one popular ice cream, ultimately there's these ice creams. There's one popular plant that most people know about in the world, but really the jungle represents hundreds of medicinal plants and their uses. And that was so fascinating to me to be around people that knew of those plants and could share about them and their uses. And their main purpose was always medicine and healing. And so I was in the jungle studying in a way, a kind of field medicine that they call medico vegetalista or plant spirit medicine. And that was enthralling because I saw people getting healed all the time and often from experiences that were really miraculous. I don't know, it wasn't, I mean, I still think Western medicine in its own right is equally miraculous. But it's very algorithmic and it's very similar the same way that that illness gets uh, treated for the patient and also how it's handled in terms of the understanding of it. And the shamans in the Amazon would come up with a diagnosis and a combination of plants from knowledge about plants in unique and individual for every single person. And that was fascinating to me. And they said, and I asked them why, and they said, well, that person's spirit isn't the same as the other person's spirit. And you have to treat their spirit as much as you treat the body or as much as you treat them, you know, and and that was fascinating. And then on top of that, you know, the way they taught was, I couldn't fathom not learning, even though it was unbelievably difficult. And simply the way they taught was through shared visionary experiences. And so I would be in ceremony being taught about the forest, not going out into the forest like a botanist or going to a book. So they would hand me a cup of ayahuasca. I would drink the ayahuasca. After an hour, hour and a half of settling into the experience, they would say to me, okay, follow me. 
And then they would start to chant. And in their chanting, all of a sudden I would go through kaleidoscopic imagery and then some kind of a tunnel. And then all of a sudden I'd find myself in a forest like it was in like daylight, enchanted and luminous, and that it could interact with you like a video game. And in that space, they showed me all about the forest and uh, taught me all about the plants, which I found so fascinating as a way to learn that uh, there was nothing about that that made me want to quit. So that reminds me of there's this uh, superpower or like a, a city that's described in the in the Hatha Yoga Pratipika, and they call it true sight. And it's like when you see something you instantly recognize its purpose and it's just as, as if you were remembering what it was, like you always knew. Is it anything like that or it's... It's, uh... it's exactly like that. Yeah. It's 100% like that. It's, there's all these spontaneous awakenings to knowledge that you can create a story for why, but it's a spontaneous awakening. You can say that it's part of collective consciousness. You could say it's part of the ancestral knowledge base. But you're tapping into something and receiving from it absolute awareness and absolute knowledge of that thing. And that thing has an interaction with you that is not based in a kind of separation. It's not that thing in me. It's this imparting of knowledge and wisdom that's instantaneous and absolute. And at the end of that receiving of that knowledge or awareness, you then have it to be able to share with others. So it's not like it's only your thing either. It becomes a tool in your medicine kit that you can use to help all different kinds of ailments that other people have, which I think is the real ultimate purpose of being a medicine man, you know, is to to be able to help people and reorient them in their experience. And if you're in a tribe, it's about getting the person back into the tribe and, you know, cohesively integrated into that tribe. And if you're working with Western people, it's about doing the same thing, but for the idea of their life because their their life is more self-identified than to the tribe itself. And so, uh, you know, I think that that's such an important role to be able to sort people who, because of their own experiences, it, you know, get kind of a little bit off track and they're looking for a way to get themselves, you know, back into a path that's working for them in their life. And, I've, you know, I just always found that to be really important work to do for people. Here's something I'd like to ask you about related to that. So I call it being a conduit. So so like some sometimes people will take some ayahuasca ceremonies and then afterwards at certain times they'll be in a in a state and they'll ask someone questions or something and re- reveal someone's pain uh, so that so it can be healed. Like I remember I had this experience where weeks or months after a ceremony, I was in the car with my friend and I started asking her some questions about why she didn't want children. And it revealed this this pain about her past, about her, how her mother treated her. And, and suddenly she, w- she was crying and I was comforting her and all this stuff. So I wonder ab- about, say, people come to you to, to Peru and then they go back to the United States or wherever and then they're, they're spreading this kind of healing energy around. So do you have some ideas about that? Sure. Most people are really significantly impacted by ayahuasca ceremonies. It's one of the things that has made ayahuasca part of popular culture and, and something that's even in being more known about in the world. And 
the people, I mean, we've had people come to us from over 100 countries and really thousands of people from all over the world over the years. We've been operating ceremonies in a professional way for people for over 16 years, 18 years now. They have had all different kinds of experiences of being that conduit, being a source of, of understanding for others. And they always say that it just came to them. They were there and it was spontaneous. How ayahuasca practices, it changes the mind, it changes the, the way you think based on your intentions and based on how you're you're giving guidance to that plant to treat you. And so if you're asking the plant for, you know, these awakening experiences, these healing experiences, this opportunity to grow in your own knowledge, then the plant stays with you really literally forever. Thank you so much for tuning in. So that was actually only 20 minutes of an hour-long interview that I did due to it a technical glitch that was the, uh, the only part of the interview that I could actually get but we talked about a lot of other stuff we talked about Hamilton's music career and we also discussed some blockchain projects that he's working on which help artists and musicians to be rewarded for their work so I hope I'll have Hamilton back on in the next few weeks so we can get some more information about all that fun stuff that he's doing. In any case, I expect that you enjoyed that a lot. So thanks for tuning in and thanks for being cool and thank you for being you. I'll see you next time. <laughs>